Welcome to episode 176 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbeal, and today my special guest is Gulfstream Park analyst Brian Natto. Me and Brian go over three races from this past Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Those races were one, two, and seven. And some angles that we talk about are why it is so important at seven and a half furlongs on the turf to be on the inside post. We also talk about perfect buyer trips and not-so-perfect buyer trips. All that and much, much more. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's Redboard Rewind, friend of the pod, friend of everything he does down at Gulfstream Park. It's Brian Natto. Brian, how are you? Hey, Spence. I'm doing very well. Happy holidays to you and congratulations uh, as well. And uh, yeah, good to be back with you, man. I feel like it's been a little bit. It's always good to catch up. Always happy with Gulfstream in the winter months to have you on as much as humanly possible between you and Kevin Kilroy. It's always a you know, a race of the fantasy who gets on more. Always love Kevin's stuff down at the fairgrounds as well. How's your Gulfstream meet been so far? I've been uh, in and out of uh, watching some of the races, but it looks like good fun so far. Yeah, I think that's not not a bad way to look at it. I've definitely struggled a little bit. My um, strongest opinions have been pretty good, like from a best bet standpoint, but overall the ROI is, is definitely um, – not where I'd like it, but, uh, you know, we're just getting going here a little bit. So, um, we're going to try to improve on that, but it's just, it's cool just to have the turf back down here and all that good stuff. The Pegasus is just, uh, you know, coming up on two weeks from Saturday. So, you know, there's always just a lot to look forward to and the racing's been pretty good too. It's always been hard for me being that public side of, of handicapping where if it's a nine race card, you know, maybe you try and give out, you know, a couple best bets. Usually you want to try and keep it the one, but sometimes people want two or three and people will be like, Oh man, you went three for nine on that card. That's not good. I, I'm like, yeah, but every best bet hit, it's kind of hard when, you know, your three star plays are the, the plays you always hit. And then people are still killing you for, Oh, you didn't get the winner in that two year old 14 race on the synthetic. How could you possibly miss that one with the 45, the one shot? Yeah, it's, you know, it's tricky. I always think at the end of the day, your ROI is kind of, the end all be all. So mm-hmm. if you go one for 11, but you're, you know, your horse paid uh, uh 22 60, you know, you're beating the game. So, but I, I totally get what you're, what you're saying. And it's just part of the part of kind of what we sign up for. So you just try to pick your spots and give out good opinions and, and uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And um, just, just hopefully maybe you steer people in the right way. You know, I, I hit a pick five the other day that, that, um, I, you know, paid, I feel, I think it paid seven sixty nine or eight sixty nine, And I think, uh, for 50 cents. And I, I think I was one for five, you know what I mean? But, yeah. uh, so I, I feel like if you just kind of give out good opinions and maybe somebody can, can pick up something that maybe they didn't have, or, you know, I went five deep in a race. You you were pretty, you know, set on going too deep and maybe you picked up a horse, you know, I, I feel like all that kind of stuff, uh, 
comes back around a little bit. And at the end of the day, you just want to give out good information. You said you're off to kind of a slow start with this meet. Do you tend to notice how your opinions happen? Do you feel like you're better in the beginning of the meet, the middle of the meet, or more towards the end of the meet when there's more information, like the more information, the better for you as a type of handicapper? Well, this is a little bit of a different scenario because obviously we have such a big influx of, of other barns mm-hmm. coming in when you're, when you're, you know, I'm very fortunate to be here year round and, you know, you, you, so from April to, <laughs> you know, December 1st, it's, uh, you know, you, you know what you're getting, you yeah. know, not a lot of people are shipping in and, and you're, you're just, the gang's all here kind of a, a thing. So, um, you know, the meet is a little bit more of a work in progress for the, for the championship meet. I'll say even when we went back to five days in December, you know, so I feel like, you know, you can get revved up. You can get, you get a lot of horses that you haven't seen, you know, you don't have notes on horses. And now maybe with a cycle through, I I'd certainly like to think I'm going to start seeing the ball a little bit better. So uh, time will tell, but uh, you know, I, I think it, in this particular instance, you know, it's, it's nice to have a, a month under your belt and just to see some horses. I, I feel like that's so true. I had a friend for Saratoga that even though it's such a short meet, he he just had learned like he had lost so much money three or four seasons in a row in the first couple of weeks. And he said this year, not that I'm not going to play, but I'm going to play like a quarter or half units compared to what his normal bets were. And I'm going to wait till I get my notes. and I'm going to crush the back half of the meet. And I think it was his best Saratoga he's ever had. Just not losing it enough in the beginning that it made up for when he finally had all those extra notes down that he could, you know, attack with, you know, nothing. He's playing, you know, 1.5 or two type unit plays, but at least he's, you know, attacking now with extra information. Yeah. And I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Less is more quite often, you know, or pick your spots a little bit more in the beginning. And then when you got a good database to work with towards the middle or second part of the meet, you're right. You know, you can maybe you get a little bit more aggressive in certain spots like that. So I, I don't think that's a bad uh, way to look at it at, 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 by any stretch of the imagination. I do, I do kind of feel like less is more in, in certain spots and be a little more, you know, diligent in, in what you're playing and go from there. Well, let's try and give out some good opinions here that can help our handicappers going forward. We're going to start with the opening race from Saturday at Gulfstream Park, maiden 20,000, seven and a half on the turf course. So, first off, we got a very tough distance, seven and a half. Maiden claimers, which you always hear every horse player, oh, I skipped those races. Well, it's kind of hard to skip those races when they're in every single pick five and pick six sequence. So uh, I always feel like when you can try to get down and, you know, dirty with the, uh, the quote unquote worst horses on the uh, on the backstretch, it's always still fun, handicap and puzzle. I liked a couple horses in here. I thought Zen from the inside, uh, the Irish bread, Louis Saez, Mark Cassidy's off to a great start, five for 14. If you look back at the last time this horse, you know, had that seven furlong, even the mile and 16th. And I know that now we're talking about routing, but those were for 40. The last race he had, which was for under that was 30 to 25. He had a 52, not the best, not the worst, but now we get second off the layoff. Maybe that horse needed that last race. Now we drop as everyone knows, dropping is the best thing you can do in the maiden claiming ranks. Now we're going for the lowest price ever. Zen was certainly interesting to me. Public service was my second pick. I love Kelly Brain. I love Paco Lopez. I blame that all on me spending last summer at uh, Monmouth Park, and that just seemed to hit all the time. Listen, this horse has been jumping from maiden special weight to maiden claiming. Not something you always like to see, but if this one can run back to either of the maiden claiming races, this race will be well in hand. And the last horse I was going to use, which I ended up not using 100%, was Set Sail Curlin. 
main reason, yes, the horse is coming off of only a $15,000 race on the synth at Woodbine, but had really, really good turf breeding, and so far this jockey trainer combo, three for three. But when the board went the opposite way, I did as well. Public service and zen for me in a two-horse wind dutch. Yeah, to, to me, it was a definite spread race. Um, you know, you kind of hit on everything. There, there's no one here you could trust, let's mm-hmm. just be honest. Um, it's a deep field. The other thing, you know, just, just for everyone listening to, if you're not necessarily in the loop, and obviously we're just about a month or five weeks into the, the full turf season here, so to speak, you know, you got to be inside within these kind of races or you have to be able to show some speed because if you look at your form and you see the diagram of, of these seven and a half, so you're, you're just in a dreadful spot to be towards the outside. So you always want to favor um, inside post positions. We had a race on Sunday that went one, two, three, four at seven and a half. And they were something to the effect of 24, 21 and 45 to one or something. So, you know, just always maybe elevate a little bit to the inside and maybe knock down a little bit to the outside. I had no strong opinion. I went with true martini um, I know the maiden special weight drop was from New York bread, so it's not as severe, but I thought the current, the turf race at Belmont at Aqueduct was pretty good. Mike Maselli does a good job in New York, but Jose D'Angelo takes over, was going to run with blinkers on for the first time on the turf. And I felt like out of that six furlong race on the turf, uh, this one, she would show some speed as well. You know, like I said, it was a, a spread race to me. Um, but I, I kind of felt like maybe with an aggressive ride or just her natural speed might get her get her to the point in there and, and maybe she can get brave. The turf course has been pretty speedy as a general rule of thumb, especially when it's been firm. So, um, you know, I didn't have a strong opinion. Certainly Zen was, was front and center um, in my pick five as well. You know, I did use public service. I, I did put her in second. I didn't really love her. Um, I agree with you. I respect the job Kelly Breen. Um, does but man this horse stunk in that special weight at the Meadowlands and then she hadn't been seen since October and now you can take her for 20 when he claimed her for 40 it's all there on paper so I, I, I felt like you know you didn't, maybe wouldn't want to get beat with her but you wouldn't want to go to the window with her either what was probably going to be an underweight price I, I think first of all great point with public service there and I probably should have gone with set sale Car- uh, Carlin because when you have a horse at 29 to 1 Nine times out of ten, you still go with your opinion over what the public says. I just I go back to an old school book from DRF where I think it was like once the odds pass, I think it's like twenty six or twenty eight to one. And listen, this one's right on the cusp at twenty nine. The, the the way that the board really hits, the odds and the percentage that they win dropped way off a cliff. So I think that was what kind of what scared me off there. Something with True Martini that I, I always loved. I feel like Javier's been getting a lot of flack the last couple of years. And something I think he does very, very well, and the numbers backed it up, you know, on whatever you would break it down. His turf numbers were seemingly yeah. much better than his dirt numbers. And, and people just look at a percentage and they go, oh, he's 22%. Yeah, well, what if he's 11% dirt and 26% turf? That's a major difference. I don't want that guy anywhere near my dirt runners, but turf, give it to me all day long. Yeah, Javier really kind of, um, I don't know if reinvented is the right word. I think that's a great he, word. He really... Yeah, he really, um, last winter at the championship meet, he, he really, I guess he did do that. He rode very, very well. Um, he was a guy that, you know, may, I was kind of maybe fading a little bit, but um, he, he did some good work last year. He definitely moved horses up, like you said, on the grass for sure. 
um, you know, getting on live horses and riding horses for, for people maybe, you know, during his eclipse, you know, run of, well, I think, three out of four years mm-hmm. or what have you, where maybe he didn't necessarily get on those kind of horses. So, um, you know, now I think he's definitely a positive. Uh, and for me, this this one's just a little bit off the radar. I like the race two back. Wasn't the biggest fan going from a Maselli to D'Angelo. Since D'Angelo does really good numbers, maiden special weight to maiden claiming, all of that, even dirt to turf positive ROI. Just one that was probably like fourth or fifth on my choice choices. But let's see who gets their maiden break here. True Martini for Brian. I was kind of going inside outside with Zen and Public service let's see who gets it done right now sing it Goldstream. always connected wins the start but taken on outside by public service who sent hard by paco in between horses true martini temerity is away in the top light she's a joint third they charge around the first turn. Public service has an early tussle with True Martini. Their heads apart. After the good break, Always Connected settles into race in third from Temerity fourth. Martha May Huvier is next, followed mid-flight by Zen. She's two better than Gurley the Butcher. Then it's a length back to Ramadan, who races outside of Kit Can Run, who's dropped better than nine lengths off the speed. The two at the back open the gate and set sail Carlin. Down the back stretch they go. Loose up top. Now the leader, True Martini, and Castellano clear by three and a half. Hard used to get there. Martha May Huvier is now second. Public services back to third. Always connected three wide fourth. Zen is down at the rail in fifth, followed sixth by Gurley the Butcher. Ramadan improves as Temerity beats a retreat, then Kit can run. A length and a half to open the gate. Still out the back is set sail Carlin. Around the far turn they go. They're reeling in True Martini. Her lead is down to three parts of a length. Zen, as one of the favorites, tries to find racetrack to work with. She secures the two-path. That sends always connected three wide. Gurley the Butcher's up the fence. Less than a quarter of a mile to go. Zen driving hard to try to go get True Martini up the inside. It's Gurley the Butcher. Always connected is next. Eighth of a mile to go. Up front. It's still Zen in front. Gurley the Butcher surging to her inside. Zen is in front. And Zen will win it. Gurley... And Zen gets the job done. 63, the winning buyer. $11, winning mutual. Always hard when you pick three horses in the race and you pick the winner, but you also pick the horses that would be on the bottom. And, I mean, just looking through it, seeing how bad public service ran, when you claim for 40 and then you drop to 20, if you're just looking at it in Monopoly terms, it's not a good investment. Set Sal Kerwin, this jockey-trainer combo, finally uh, not perfect anymore, running second last. True Martini, nice improvement. Gets back to that race, just can't really improve much over it with the 57 buyer running third. At a solid price of 12 to 1, though, I think you kind of got the right race. Maybe you wanted a little bit more, but still probably would have been tough to get down with uh, Gurley, the Butcher, and Zen. Yeah, I mean, True Martini, I couldn't ask for anything more. She got loose in there, and she was comfortable, and she was a giant number. In hindsight, she was completely dead on the board. You would have never thought you would have got that. And, you know, she ran a race. It was third best. But, yeah, back to Zen, you know, if if, if she was for you and you got 11 bucks, you know, you're not really complaining. The post work, you mentioned Marcassi at the time, was was really firing. I think three for eight, four for nine kind of thing going in or mm-hmm. – uh, Luis Saez obviously is, is was here as well. So yeah, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. But if you if you liked her and you got eleven bucks, I don't think you were complaining that you got an underlay price there at all. I think too, and you, you had said it right off the rip that this is a spread race. When the favorites nine to two, a lot of people, you know, might get nervous, but these are the races that I that I really want to thrive on because you're you're not getting underlaid pricing. And even if you're if people are wrong in the favorite, well, my God, six ninety, twelve sixty coming in right behind it. 
and Gurley the Butcher just missed at that price. And I know we didn't really talk much about that runner. And when I look back, you know, Claudio Gonzalez, very, very good Laurel trainer and stuff, you know, comes off of a claim. First off the claim, 30%, $2 plus ROI. Also very good off these types of layoffs. I mean, he, he trainers like that, when they have good layoff numbers and good first off the claim for me, know how to spot their horses great in starts one and two. And after that, I think they kind of fall off. So this is one that at 690, you know, I think snuck around and people weren't expecting such a good run from this one. Yeah, Claudio is really hasn't put a foot wrong since it took him. It took him a good two months mm-hmm. last year. He got beat up pretty good, quite frankly, during the championship meet when he first got down here. But I'll put it at about ten months now, and he's just basically twenty percent with everything he does. He wins races because he puts horses in the right spot, and like you said, he's thirty percent off the claim. And um, I didn't like girly the butcher she was slow to me she was over 13 but you 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 said it and, and again a lot so much late money comes in but to see her up there at six to one was kind of like well maybe you should take another look here because she didn't look six to one on paper but just as a general rule of thumb anything claudio sending out is is live regardless of if you think it might be a funky spot or not he's a really sharp guy that wins races because he puts them in the right spots Let's move on to race number two. We're going six furlongs on the dirt. State bred optional 20s and 1X. Short field here of only six. We do get one sharp favorite, that being Floki's Flight. I was kind of more interested in Avant Glory and the number five Song Runner, Sonny Leon and Arno Dober. I just feel like when you come down to this race and the state bred 20s aren't a big step up. Obviously, it's a maiden claiming winner for Song Runner there. One on the lead. I mean, same jockey was a favorite, but I feel I feel like the eighty three is is pretty strong, and then Avant Glory going off at you know almost seven to two kind of blew my mind in this race. You would think there would at least be the two two chalks be fighting it out, but ran an eighty two last time out, broke the maiden way way back when in September of twenty one, and has been at this level long enough that maybe it almost looks like a, a proven loser for this level, but in this race when when the public decides to go the other way. And they're letting a second choice go off at seven or uh, almost seven to two, but three to one. Give me a little bit of avant glory there as well. Yeah, it was very surprising to see her him go off at that price because for everything that you said, they just felt like betting off the board with Floki's flight. You know, the open company race is a huge figure last time. Um but that was in the slop, that was at two turns, and that's just not what was happening Saturday. Um at Gulfstream Park, you know, I, I didn't like Song Runner, but wow, at nineteen to one, that's a giant number off that race and a power race. I, I can't. I like Starship Renegade. This is my long shot play of the day. I, I felt like the race um, two back was was a real breakthrough effort. I didn't like him that day. I made the line that day. I think I made him. I made them nine to two or something like that. And they just bet them off the board at six to five. There were no scratches or anything. So I kind of guess in hindsight, maybe it was a miss on my part, but it kind of, it kind of put me onto him. And then last time I thought he ran really well, Spence in, in that, you know, there's Avat glory at eight to five. And here's this horse stepping off of, of a maiden optional claiming win. Um, you know, getting really thrown into the deep end of the pool by Steve Dwoskin. And, and here he is, 
running fourth, beating just three and a quarter lengths. And, and he was the only horse that was towards the back of the field that did any kind of running late. And I thought it was one of those better than it looked efforts. And he'd only run three times. I just felt like he was improving. And then the other thing too, and, and it, you look at this race on paper and you just say the one, the two, the five and the six and all some way, shape or form, they're going to go in this race and they're going to hit pretty hard. Um, up front and you know maybe it falls apart at least my horse is going to run on and at least he's got a world of upside I, you just i wasn't really sure if any of these other horses had any upside so i, I like starship renegade in this particular spot i will say this and just you brought up a great point with floki's flight first of all it was a slow paced race they won on the lead first of all we're in the slop we're going two turns at that point there's three strikes for this runner when there's already going to be speed in the race everyone just sees the 94 buyer and absolutely loses their mind and I feel like this is this is so harmful for beginning players when they're looking and they're like, oh, buyer speed figures, you know, got to look at the number, got to, you know, adjust and figure out and like, okay, this one for sure, you know, beats everyone by four or five lengths, it seems, until you start breaking it down by what the race was. I mean, six furlongs is today's race. This is not sloppy. This is not going long. You almost have to throw that race out and go back to the last race, which was in 85. And oh my God, when you do that, every horse in the race fits. Yeah, exactly. It was just, you know, I, I you know, the connections have a, a Florida bread that that's running for a big number and is going to be seven, eight to five, or in this case, he was nine to 10, which is crazy. But so, you know, you get, you get it all, but they don't write, write these races, you know, every day. And mm-hmm. so you got to run where you got to run, but yeah, this is just the type of, you know, potentially vulnerable favorite. Cause you're right. The, the crazy figure that he ran is in the slop going two turns, nothing like what he's getting today so um you know he's the type of horse you're, you're supposed to to play against because uh you know a lot of people go broke kind of playing those and if they win hey so he beats you at nine to ten what are you gonna your golf clap and you, you move on that's why we run 11 races you know can't agree with you more starship renegade for brian i'm going with two outside runners that being song runner and avant glory let's see if we can beat this vulnerable fave right now and they're off Level beginning soon after, Starship Renegade drops to last. Magical Warrior away quickly at the inside. Floki's Flight's going to run with him. Rough entry away in the top flight. He's now third. Avant Glory beaten for speed in fourth ahead of Songrunner. And Starship Renegade with some pace ahead of him, but he's last of all with half a mile to run. Floki's Flight on the inside leads by a neck. Magical Warrior giving him all he wants in the early stages. Avant Glory is striding into third outside of rough entry. Then back to Starship Renegade and Songrunner. 22 and 1 for the opening quarter, less than three furlongs to go. Magical Warrior and Floki's Flight continue to spar. They're two better than the team of Avant Glory and Rough Entry. They're third and fourth. Starship Renegade begins to make a bit of ground, and the trailer is Song Runner as they run to the top of the stretch. Floki's Flight has lost the lead to Magical Warrior, who's now a neck on top. Floki's Flight's used hard and back to second toward the outside Avant Glory. Starship Renegade's the one who's had the pace to chase, and here he comes down the center. Eighth of a mile to go. Down the center. Starship Renegade's going to blow by them all at 5-1. to one, Starship Renegade and Miguel Vasquez going away. And Starship Renegade does get the job done. 12-20, the winning mutual. 91, the winning buyer. I mean, Brian, you made him 9-2 a couple races ago. I guess he gave it back to you here at, you know, a little over 5-1. to one. Yeah, I, you know, I was hoping for a tick more. I'm not going to lie, but uh, wasn't wasn't mad at all. And, you know, it, it never really happens this way, but it played out exactly as it was supposed to. I certainly didn't think he would 
looked like he was three to five in the race because he just absolutely demolished the field. But, you know, he's a nice horse and he just got a real dream set up that, that where everybody went a little ballistic early. And, you know, I, I think in hindsight now you can see that, um, you know, Floki's flight certainly regressed um, off that huge Churchill race. And he just didn't like this, this set of circumstances that was that was uh, thrown at him. And, you know, Avant Glory ran OK. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, would, if you knew he was going to be three to one, you could kind of say, oh, that's a little fishy, too, isn't it? So uh, kind of the perfect storm for, for Starship Renegade. And, and uh, it was good to see him answer the bell. I always will, and I'll write this for people who do write their notes. You know, for me, Songrunner being the, the the longest shot on the board and the only horse above ten to one, ran like it, running dead last. Uh, Avant Glory gave me everything I could ask for and more, and just came up a little bit short. If you're going to look at a horse like Floki's Flight, and this is why, even though the horse didn't win or even hit the board, you can write notes and hit horses later on in the year, whether it's three starts from now or the next start. Two back, this horse had absolutely perfect circumstances. Today, he had the exact opposite. Now, next time when he goes out, you might see again, no speed going two turns. If it's not the six furlong with multiple speeds, the 94, uh, yeah, the 94 and 75 are pretty much the bottom end of this horse and the top end. So if you can run something in the middle, that's probably what you end up, which, which the race three back was an 85. So I think you've kind of seen the average of this horse, the best and the worst so far in these last three races for uh, Floki's flight. Yeah, wherever he pops up next, um, you know, it's down here, Dale's here, obviously, Romans. Um, it, it, it'll be a real kind of line in the sand type of race for him. Which way are you going? Because obviously he didn't have a good set of circumstances uh, on Saturday, but conversely, he, he's had some good circumstances too. So where is he going? I would think they try to find a race for him that's longer than six furlongs. If he draws outside, then he's got a much, much better chance. But he would be, to me, I, I know – again it wasn't his his jam on saturday um but he also was nine to ten and just didn't run so i i'd be yeah. apt to fade him a little bit again i'd be okay doing that what's one of the last race of the pod race number seven it is the hundred thousand diana beach one mile on the turf what a fun interesting race here i i like to couple in here i thought worthington from the outside with louis and mike maker if you just look at the the nice progression 63 70 to an 82 all been on turf two at the mile the other one I kind of like to hear was congruent with Edgar Zayas or Antonio Sano. I just thought the pulpit last time out. When you see these horses run slow-paced races but are closing, have a decent closing kick at 7-1, to one, you want them coming right back in these listed stakes because they have good listed stakes form, and that's kind of what I was looking for in this race. Yeah, this is a fun race. It's a fun division. Um, every year it's pretty wide open. I'm with you. I was with you totally with Worthington. I thought he was a horse that could trip out pretty nicely. It looked to me like there was a pretty honest pace um, in this spot. Uh, and I feel like Worthington, even though this post is terrible with only seven horses, yeah entered it's it's not that detrimental and he had the tactical speed to get the right kind of trip uh in here and you know i felt like a horse like candidate down on the inside wouldn't be able to shake loose and major dude you know okay i get that he's he's supposed to be a heavy favorite and he's the most likely winner but his big win was in the over a yielding surface and I, I, he had no chance in the breeders cup with that post but i, I thought like maybe he's the type of horse you're allowed to play against um i picked congruent in fourth but i agree with everything you said about him he ran really well 
in the pulpit. It was a fast race. Airy Gold got loose that day, and um, Congruen had kind of no sort of chance in what was his turf debut, but I thought he ran very, very well. And he was up there, I think, at eight or nine to one in this spot. And I, I felt I actually tweeted it out. I said, you know, if you're looking for a little something off the wall, Congruent should be like five to one. He shouldn't be nine to one or eight to eight to one, whatever he was. So I was kind of with you there. And, you know, I was against Suzak a little bit. This is the first time Euro for Grand Motion. You know, the soft ground win. I know he had won three straight, but they were by a neck, a head, and a neck. And now, you know, the Gulfstream Park turf course is just nothing like anything in Europe. So I, I felt like he was the type of horse maybe to play against a little bit. So, yeah, I was with you with Worthington. I liked him quite a bit in this spot. Consensus pick here of the number seven, Worthington. Let's see. We've got one apiece. Can we, can we get this consensus pick home here in the seventh right now? They're off in the Dania Beach. Good start at the inside for Candidate, who's headed off for the early lead. Here's Worthington moving to him, and the big favorite, Major Dude, away in third. The gray congruent is next from Suzak, who's wide on the course and very keen. Barzini is also ranked on the course while trying to angle over, but he'll be four or five deep. The early trailer is cheerful Charlie. And they run around the first turn after the sharp beginning. Tyler Gaffleone and Candidate are the targets. They lead by a length over Worthington in second. Major Dude is patiently handled third at the inside with congruent for company on the outside. Then cheerful Charlie and Barzini and Suzak is at the back of the field. Separated by five lengths in the run past the opening quarter. The leader is candidate through 23 and two for an opening quarter speed. Second is Worthington. Third is congruent. Major Dude is fourth. Up to the outside, it's Barzini down at the rail. Cheerful Charlie and Suzak is between them. Four and a half furlongs from the finish. Candidate has the lead, taken on now by Worthington second. Congruent committed to a three-wide run. Major Dude, Irat Ortiz Jr. on the favorite is fourth toward the inside. He's sequestered at the moment, needs a way out. From fifth, it's Cheerful Charlie, then Barzini and Suzak as they round the far turn. 47-4 and four for the opening half mile. Candidate tries to shake Worthington. Congruent is next. Major Dude still held up in traffic. He's going to try to wheel between horses after three quarters and 111-3. and three. Candidate left alone and he's got a kick. He brilliantly kicked off the corner. He established a four-length lead at that stage, and now he's looking good. Major Dude tries to catch him on the money. Here comes Major Dude after Candidate. Candidate close to home. Major Dude second. Candidate in front. And Candidate gets it done. 86 the winning buyer. 17-20 the winning mutual. One we didn't really talk about. Worthington ran third. Worthington, I think, ran fine. Congruent ran fourth. Yeah. Fourth right where you had him. Uh, Major dude, I didn't really talk about it much ahead of time. I just think when you see small progression, and listen, you're always going to see smaller progression compared to bigger progression, turf to dirt. It just wasn't enough for me out of that Breeders' Cup. And now this is the first race back for Todd. I was willing to fade here on this one. Uh, candidate, Tyler Gaff, Arno Delacour. Last two races are fine. They're both from the inside. And like you've been saying, inside and speed seems to be getting it done. And I think people who are out there, you know, whether you're making your own odds line or not, you have to bump up horses now, one, two, three. If you're going to, you know, make a horse a B, I would really consider thinking about making them an A. If you're going to toss them, you have to really consider, like, you know, if I'm playing exactas and tries, do I really keep them out of third when they can clunk up here at big major prices and, and can hurt me? This one winning right here at seven to one's a great price. We've talked about three, you know, $10 plus horses all coming, two on turf coming from the inside. Yeah, this was um, a frustrating race because if I told you um, that candidate was going to get loose, you would instantly have said, 
oh, I like him, or you instantly would have said, well, that's not going to happen because mm-hmm. Barzini is to his outside, and he was chasing 44-1 and one last time. But then Barzini breaks it, doesn't break at the star, and he's very, very rank, and he's headstrong, and you're like, oh, man, there's candidate walking on the lead, and 7-1 to one is like, this is like five to two in running and what happens? He doesn't come back. So, um, you know, we have a, a line we like to joke of, you know, they're off, you lose. And that was, that was <laughs> kind of sort of this type of race where um, when you saw a candidate freewheeling on the backstretch, loose as can be for a good rider and a very sharp Arnold Delacour turf barn. Um, you're like, Oh boy, this probably isn't going to end too well for me if I don't have candidate and, Sure as heck, it didn't end too well for anybody who didn't have candidate, and he ran very well too. And that's you know now now going forward, you've talked about this you know already tonight um, today. Uh, you know, would you say eighty six for candidate? Yeah. You know, that's the type yeah. of race now where you're like, well, you know, that that's like the ninety four that uh, Loki just ran. Well, he had all the best of it. I can't imagine candidate's going to get that trip next time. So you put that kind of in your your handicap and bag a little bit and say, I might be willing to play against this horse next time because he certainly couldn't get anything better than he got on Saturday. I, I will say this, and you brought up a point like, with, with the pace and stuff. I'm such a class and you know speed figure handicapper. I've had a lot of pace guys on here. I've learned so much from everyone who comes on this show talking about pace. I'm just at the point where if I think it's two speed horses, and they're like, well, yeah, but look at how this horse goes 44 and one, and this horse should still be behind. Every time someone tries to give me that argument, a horse always breaks bad and the argument doesn't matter. Obviously, it matters, but like you had said, if if I think there's two speed horses, I just put that in the back of my head. Okay, we're going to have a little bit more speed up front. And they're going to be part of that pack. Unless if there's like egregious, like a horse is running, you know, 22 flat and everyone else is running 24. Like, I try to not put it into my head like, oh, speed of the speed. I know that a lot of times that comes up on a lot of shows. I'm so bad, it seems now, with pace when it comes down to that. I, I've kind of put that towards, like, the back end of my repertoire. And so, for me, when I was looking at the pace, I just thought candidate. And, you know, when we're talking about Barzini, I'm like, okay, two speed horses. But you would, for you, it was Barzini on top and then candidate coming in, like, second, just kind of tailing him from the, from the, uh, from the two path there, it seems. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I felt I was pretty confident that's how it would how, how it would play out. Now that now candidate still might have won because he could have been mm-hmm. two path stalking a horse that maybe didn't want to go this far. Um, but you're right in that scenario that you mentioned. It's it's like okay, you've got this on paper. This this is what's going to happen, and then somebody breaks or the other guy's thinking, well, damn, he's going. I don't want to. I don't want to go and get you know get get crossed out by going with him. So maybe I'll tuck back a little bit and. You know, it's all, you, you've got it all planned out and the gates open and then three seconds later you're screwed. So uh, it's tough. You know, there's not it's not really something you can necessarily plan for. Um, it just kind of is what it is. But, uh, you know, that happens on a day in and day out basis, as you, you kind of hinted at. Be interesting to see where these top three come back and where the race. That is all the time, though, we have for today's podcast. I do want to thank my special guest, Brian Nattle, for coming on. Brian Tell us what's uh, obviously we're, we're talking about the big races in a couple of weeks. What else is going on with the uh, Gulfstream Park this week? Um, Saturday we've got a couple Florida bred races. We've got a really good card, and uh, I'll tell you what these pick fives that uh, with the turf back that mm-hmm. they've they, they've been betting 
six, seven hundred thousand dollars. The pools are huge. Um, the pick fours have been huge. And I always yell it out in the office. And I admittedly kind of I don't really play pick fours anymore. And I kind of feel like um, they're a little bit of a dinosaur. They've been betting these for like four hundred thousand. So get involved. Uh, the pools are the pools are really good. And, you know, like we talked about the first race, 12 horses on the turf. What the heck more can you ask for in this day and age, right? It's, it's, it's great to see. Not much else. Glad to have the turf back. Glad to have just Gulfstream Parks Championship meet back. Look forward to talking with you more as the season progresses. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Spencer, buddy. Always good to hear from you. Thanks for having me. Podcast and the rest of the podcast on the Money Media Network. Also want to thank my special guest, Brian Nato, for coming on. Talking all things at Gulfstream Park with me. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Peter Thomas Forento. Our Chief Creative Officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media Business Manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.